Open your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let me uh, talk a little bit about sermons for the next couple of weeks, actually. Um, the next, starting next Sunday and the Sunday following, I'm going to take an opportunity to preach topically. I rarely do that, but I want to preach on two topics that I feel like are important for our congregation right now. Uh, next Sunday, I want to talk about transgenderism. I know that sounds strange to some of you, but others of you know that this is a live issue not only in our culture, but in our families, and our church. And so I want us to take an opportunity as the church body to talk biblically about transgenderism and what it means uh, in, in, in our world today for people that you know and people that you love. Um, because that sermon is going to be kind of delicate and because I really want the ability to have an adult conversation uh, with, with, with adults, uh, we're going to have special arrangements for our kids next week for fourth grade and under uh, we'll have special programming over in the next center and preschoolers down on this end, just so that we're able in this room to, to speak in the way we need to speak in order to just talk plainly about something that's so important. Uh, parents, if you want your children in the room, I'm, I'm not going to be inappropriate, um, but just don't blame me when you have to answer questions over lunch. You know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. Uh, don't, don't come crying to me. Uh, I actually think it's a good thing when children hear these things talked about in church. Otherwise, they think we don't know anything about any of these things. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing that your children would be exposed to something like that in, in, in the context of the body of Christ. But I understand how delicate that is. So understand next Sunday, fourth grade and under, uh, we'll have special programming during the sermon time because I want to speak on transgenderism. The following Sunday, I want us to talk about alcohol, which we haven't done in years and years and years. But I want as a congregation at this moment to come together and again, speak biblically about these things. So next two weeks, important sermons. Um, I got my son married off last weekend, you guys. I was gone. I was in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, marrying off my son. I was his best man, which was awesome. It was a 100% chance of rain in an outdoor wedding, and it didn't rain. Uh, so that was, that was awesome, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so good. Um, I know that a lot of you couldn't be there, and you are our family, you are our church family, but you're our family family. Love you more than anything. And I know that Birmingham's a long way off. So Casey and I are having a reception for Wade and his wife, Marty. Isn't that hilarious? Wade has a wife, Wade and his wife, Marty. This kid used to wipe boogers in my office, and he has a wife now. So I just still think that's just, you know, joke's on her. That is so funny. Uh, Wade has a wife. They'll be here together. Wade's awesome. Yeah, he's 23 now. He's, he's, he's all grown up. Uh, they'll be here with us, and uh, we just want to invite you all to have a reception with us. The details are in the bulletin today. We just want the church family to come and celebrate that with us. It's the 16th, I think. Is that right? Don't listen to me. Look at the bulletin and come when the bulletin says. I think it's two to four. It's not a, it's not a bring gifts thing. It's not a dress-up thing. We're having Cheney's ice cream truck out here and just come and go and, and meet Marty and celebrate with our family. You're invited. We want to we celebrate that with you all as well. I love weddings. I've been doing weddings for 22 years now. I've done a million. I'm on a string of them. I've done three in a row. I, I love it so much. Uh, I think probably, Tom and Dream, I think the most memorable wedding I've ever done was Adam and T. Uh, their son, Adam, uh, married the most wonderful Chinese woman ever. I think they were both, uh, uh, she was an optometrist, an eye doctor of some kind. Is that correct? Um, it was so wonderful, just wonderful to, to be a part of that wedding. She, uh, the, the Chinese bride, wanted an American wedding, a very westernized wedding. 
Uh, and so that's what we planned for her. It was fantastic. It was in this house. The thing was, her parents, her family had never, ever been anywhere outside of China. So they got on an airplane, you guys, and landed in Woodburn. I mean, they came to Woodburn. <laughs> Woodburn, Kentucky. Like, you've never been anywhere but China and Woodburn. Uh, <laughs> so, so let that sink in. So anyway didn't speak any English whatsoever, which, you know, is, we're equal. I speak no Chinese whatsoever. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an American wedding, and she really wanted her father to give her away in an American fashion, which means he would, you know, bring her down that aisle, they'd come and stand before me, and I would ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And then he would, you know, the father usually responds, I do. So apparently on the airplane all the way over, they taught him two words in English, I do, I do. So we could practice that. So rehearsal came. They arrived that day, again, from China to Woodburn, and then we're rehearsing. He brings her down that aisle. They come and stand in front of me. He doesn't speak any English. Um, I'm talking the early stuff in rehearsal. Then I get to his part. I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he just stands there and, and, and looks at me. And so his daughter, she does this, which apparently in any language means the same thing. She does this. And he says, I do, just like that, I do. So, so they made him practice again. So they go back out, they come back in the door. He comes over here, he stands right here. And I do the early talk and then I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? She's looking at me. Look at me. She, boom, I do, just like that. So about that time, he pulled her over to the side. They went over right there and they had this kind of serious, very quiet Chinese conversation for a moment and then they came back over and the bride said to me she said we would like for you to ask my father's question in Chinese <laughs> okay he knows two words of English which would make that two more words than I know in Chinese All right, so I said teach me you know teach me I would be happy to do that because you understand the problem is that he knew what to say he just didn't know what I was saying if you don't speak a language then every sound just sounds like random mouth noises. So he couldn't understand a word that I was saying. So even though we say, just wait for, you know, who gives this woman to me? I mean, he couldn't make any sense out of any of the sounds I was making. All right. So he needed his words, his language. So, so I said, teach me. So I, it's been a long time. I think what I said, and, and forgive me, uh, a Chinese church member this morning told me that nothing I'm about to say is Chinese, but, but it's what I said. I, 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 what's it? it was Cantonese? Okay. Wow. Really? I speak, I speak Cantonese? Awesome. I think it was, uh, I think it was Bing Gao Bai Koi Ji Fun. Do you speak Cantonese? Yeah. I'm actually glad you don't speak Cantonese, actually, because what I just said was perfect Cantonese, you guys. I said, Bingao Bai Koiji Fun, and he would say, I do. It was the coolest thing. He would come down the aisle, I would say everything in English, and I would say those words in Cantonese, and he would respond, I do. The fun thing was for the rest of the weekend, he was around, and, and I love her family, but we couldn't talk, and no words in common except those. So he would come up to me and say, I do. <laughs> 
And I would say, Binga bai, koichi. You know, I do. We'd hug. I mean, it was just, it was so, so much fun. But, but can you imagine, and some of you can and some of you can't, but can you imagine being in a situation where you are completely out of your element? I mean, you do not speak a single word of their language. You don't think like they think. You can't even imagine why they do the things they do. Can you imagine what it is to be completely in that situation? Because in John chapter 17, Jesus makes it perfectly plain that if you're going to follow him, that is going to be your way of life. We are, as the old folks used to say, in the world, but not of it. This world is not our home. We don't think like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't act like the world. We are foreigners in a strange land. Do you understand this? Because this is the truth of your life as a believer. You are in this world, but you don't belong to this world. This we must remember. John 17, let's read it. Uh, This is uh, a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying, which is terrific. Jesus is praying, but it's in the upper room. It's this long section in the Gospel of John where Jesus is at the table with the disciples on the night that he is betrayed. And Jesus spends a lot of time teaching and a lot of time praying. And the prayer is where we're going to jump in. Notice what and who Jesus prays for And note what his concern is. John chapter 17, let's jump in at verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now, I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your, your name. Now protect them by the name that you have given me so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that none of them was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying. Uh, Jesus is praying for us. Now, in this section, not just in this section, but uh, in this section, John has one word that he uses over and over and over and over. Can you put your finger on what what that word is? The word that's probably repeated more than any other word in this particular passage. Can you identify it? Because actually in the whole gospel of John, it's one of John's favorite words. The, The Greek word that he uses is this word. It's cosmos. Say cosmos. Cosmos, yeah, cosmos. It's a, it's a Greek word. 
it's, it, it's a word that has a, a broad range of meaning. It can mean cosmos, like the universe, all the planets and constellations, the universe, the, the, the cosmos. It can also mean just the world, the, the world like is in planet Earth, uh, just this planet. It can mean world in that sense, the world we live in, the, the world, the, the planet. But also for John, cosmos can mean people. The, the people of the world. For example, in John chapter 3, verse 16, when John says, for God so loved the world, God so loved the cosmos, it's not that God doesn't love the universe. He made it. I'm sure he loves it. He loves the planet Earth. But at the same time, what God loves is the people of the world, the, the human family. So cosmos in the gospel of John frequently just means the human family, the people of the world, all the people everywhere of all times, people, the cosmos, the, the world. But also, especially in this prayer, when John uses the word cosmos, when Jesus prays and uses this idea of, of world, it's an even more, even more uh, defined sense of world. Now, we're still talking about people, but we're also talking about sort of what we would call the lost and dying world, the, 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 the sinful world, the world that does not know Jesus. So we're talking about the, the human family, but the human family uh, in a spiritual sense, in the sense of all of the structures and powers of the world that work in opposition to God and his love, his work in the world. Am I, am I making sense? So in this particular instance, when Jesus says so much about world here, he's using it in that, in that final sense, that sense of the world that is lost. That world that is in darkness, that the people of the world who do not know the love and the mercy of God, and so therefore they live their lives in opposition to him. So Jesus' concern here is not for the world, but for us. Because as he says, he's leaving the world. He's departing from the world, but we're staying in the world. And the world's going to hate us. That's his prayer praying for us because he's leaving, we're staying, and the world is going to hate us. Okay. For me, that raises two questions. The first question, the obvious, okay, why are we here? If Jesus is leaving, why can't we leave too? I mean, why are we here? It, it, it's just an obvious question. I mean, why are we here? If, if all Jesus wanted to do is just sort of save my soul, forgive my sins, then what he could have done was when I got saved back in 1971, he could have just taken me to heaven. I could have shot up like a rocket, y'all. I mean, he could have just raptured me or maybe like a Star Trekky thing where I just sort of, you know, and just go to heaven. I mean, honestly, if, if, if it's eternal life he wants to give me and, and I'm going to spend most of my eternal life in, in glory in heaven, why can't he just take me there now? Just take me there. Let me, let me miss all this stuff, you know? I mean, why are we here? Well, it's, it's, it's simple. And Jesus makes it simple in this passage. He sends us into the world. That, that's what he says. Father, in the same way that you sent me, I'm sending them into the world. So you are sent into this world. Your relationship to this world is kind of like a missionary to the mission field. You have been sent into your family. You're sent into your family. You are sent into your school. You're sent into the place where you work. You're sent into your neighborhood. You're sent onto your street. You're a missionary and you have a mission field and you are sent by Jesus himself. Do you understand this? 
I know you think that missionaries have to go overseas, but guess what? You are overseas. I mean, you're overseas from somewhere. I mean, you are overseas. You are sent as a missionary because you have a mission and you have a message. Jesus says over and over and over, what sets us apart is his word. His word sanctifies us. This message that we're given, this message that we must proclaim so that others will believe in Jesus. This is our whole purpose. This is why we are here. Jesus sends us into the world with a mission and a message. Those are both M words, but I'm telling you that the third M word is not money. You're not here just to work and make money. You're not here just so that you can have a nice yard. You're not here just so that you can have a nice family and have grandchildren and grow old. You know, that, that's not why you're here. Those are some of the best blessings of this life, but that is not your purpose. You must never ever confuse these things. You have a purpose, you have a mission, you have a message, and that is why you are here. Okay? First question, why are we here? The second question is, why is everybody going to hate us? Why does the world hate us? Man, we're nice people. I stood out there in the lobby, I welcomed every one of you coming in, and every one of you was a nice person, at least for that much time. You know, talking to me, you were nice person. You got it in you to be a nice person. I know it. you nice people. You're all nice. We're church people. We just want to come together and sing songs and have a potluck and send our children to camp. I mean, we just, we're not bothering anybody. Well, why do they hate us? Jesus is very concerned. This is his ultimate concern. Jesus says, Father, I, I am returning to you, but they're staying here and the world is going to hate them. Why do they hate us? I, th- I think it's kind of simple. We live here like everybody else, but we aren't like everybody else. We live here. We don't belong here. We're not like everybody else. We're different. And the world doesn't do different. The world doesn't like different. And I, I know, you go out in the world, you, you see people, I mean, there's some freaky people out there, and you think, man, you, Pastor Tim, you don't know, man, there's some different people out there. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand the difference that Christ makes. Because the difference that Christ makes is a difference that the world is not going to tolerate. They just don't. If you think that I'm wrong, I just challenge you, go out into your life and start living for Jesus and find out where that gets you as far as the popularity measure goes. Find out if that wins you a lot of friends. Find out if that gets you invited back to the next party. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can talk about anything in this world. You ever watch The View? You can talk about anything. You can say anything. You can put anything on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat. I mean, you can put anything out there. But if you start talking about Jesus, they're done with you. I mean, they're done with you. You don't get invited back if you talk about Jesus, if you live for Jesus. It's a difference that the world does not tolerate. So understand, the world will squeeze you into its mold. The world will tolerate you being different in all the ways that the world likes different. But if you start being different for Jesus, you're going to find out really fast this world is not your home. Because Jesus is not of this world. Which means when you have the mind of Christ, you don't think like the world anymore. There's not a lot of intersection between the ways of Jesus and the ways of this world. They don't cross. They don't have a lot in common. In the world, people are mostly concerned for themselves. 
In Jesus' way of living, you're only concerned with others. Remember, Jesus comes and gives his life away. Most people in this world, they live their life for themselves, for their families. I mean, it's, it's more and more of what they can get for themselves. In the world, we're all horribly self-centered. We're all horribly selfish. We're horribly judgmental. We're all very, very, very difficult to be with, to live with. But Jesus is, is love. He's all love for the world. And I'm telling you, when you have Jesus transforming you, you're not going to think like the world. You're not going to talk like the world. You're not going to act like the world. And the world is not necessarily going to welcome the difference that Jesus will make in your life. I'm just telling you the truth. This is Jesus' concern because he knows that we will live here like everybody else, but we aren't like everybody else. The old folks used to use this phrase. I think it was in the King James Version of John 17. But the phrase was that we are in the world, but not of it. Understand that distinction? We're in the world, but not of it. We're in the world, but we don't belong to the world. It's like we're foreigners in a land that is completely strange to us. We're not of the world, but we're in it. In other words, we're totally in the world. We, we must be totally here, but at the same time, always totally separate. We're totally separate and yet totally in this world. It's, it's a strange kind of paradox, but it's essential that you understand that this is your way of life. You're here, but you don't belong here. You're totally separate. Now, I would say all through Christian history, we've struggled with this as the church. All through Christian history, since Jesus himself, we've struggled with this. We've struggled with being in the world, but not like the world. The world's power over us is strong. Sin's power over us is strong. And there's just that tendency to be squeezed back into the mold of the world. We start thinking and acting and talking like everyone else. And we can't do that. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. We're totally separate. Again, we just get this wrong. Back in, uh, gosh, nineteen fifteen, maybe 1920, Woodburn Baptist Church made a very strong statement, you know, as far as what makes Christians Christians. And, and the issue they choose, chose to make, I'm talking about Woodburn Baptist Church in the 20s. The issue Woodburn chose to make was the issue of dancing. Christians don't dance. So there was a man at our church named Virgil Kelly who was caught dancing at the, at like at the stockyard in Woodburn. Like who dances at the stockyard? I don't know. But, but still, you know. Virgil Kelly got jiggy with it like at the stockyard in Woodburn in 1918 and they threw him out of the church they threw him out of the church now I'm t if y'all were at the wedding last night Emerald Smith got married one of our girls got married last night y'all Woodburn dance we, we dance it's a new day I wish Virgil Kelly were here to see it man I would have I would have stepped back and let that man light it up you know, Virgil Kelly de de deserves that. What, there's nowhere in Scripture where dancing is forbidden. Where did we get that? Why did we choose to make that the way we're going to be different? Because honestly, through a lot of Christian history, it's not that we were different in the ways that Jesus wants to be different. We just, we were just weird. We just chose to be weird. Now, honestly, some of us probably shouldn't dance, not because the Bible forbids it, but just you just shouldn't. I'm in that category. 
I love to dance, y'all. Y'all don't understand. And I'm not just preaching. I'm just telling you. Ask my wife. From the minute my feet hit the floor in the morning, there is music and there is rhythm. It drives her crazy. She hates it. Because Casey is kind of a get up in the morning, you know, read your Bible in silence and solitude. And then, you know, take her shower and get ready for her day. And then I come in, you know, boom, you know, I just totally, totally ruin it. But I'm horrible. I'm horrible. Y'all, true story. I was once dancing and a buddy of mine was on the side and a lady came up and said, I think it's so good that a man with his condition is so active. Y'all understand. No, you quit. Seriously. She said, a man with his condition. And my buddy said, what condition are you talking about? Because he knows me. So what condition? She says, well, obviously he's got palsy. <laughs> palsy. Like she thought I was having a seizure or something. I was ahead of her time. I can tell you that, y'all. I had moves that she'd never seen outside of the emergency room, apparently. <laughs> but Scripture doesn't forbid dancing. Where did we get that? Where did we get this whole history where we have set ourselves apart by focusing on things that the Bible doesn't focus on? Where did we ever get that interracial dating or marriage was somehow forbidden in God's? Where do we get that? And why do we spend so much time condemning people over something that the Word of God never condemns? Where did we get that? And what makes us think that we can do that? I understand the difficulty of understanding exactly how it is we're supposed to be different from the world, but it's not really that difficult. Jesus makes it perfectly clear. There's one sign. He said, this is how everybody will know that you belong to me. And I'm telling you, it's not church attendance. He doesn't say when everybody sees how much you go to church, they're going to know you're a true believer. He never says that. He never says, when you walk around and tell everybody how they're living their life wrong, everybody's going to know you belong to me. He does not say that. He does not put us in this world. Our mission is not to be the, the police of everybody's behavior. That's not it. Actually, he makes it very, very clear. Right before John 17 and John 13, same conversation, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your, say the word, your love. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love. Your love will prove. A new commandment. That's kind of odd because you think love, that's not a new commandment. I mean, even when Jesus was preaching, the, you know, the Old Testament says love. What's new about it? Well, notice, a new commandment I'm giving you, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. The, the new thing is Jesus' example. Jesus shows us exactly what love looks like. Jesus loved everybody. Jesus loved everybody always. And Jesus gave his life for the world. That's what love looks like. It's, it's everybody, it's always, and it's sacrificial. You lay down your life for people. 
That, that means you put up with a lot, you lay it down, you give them whatever it is they need, you care more about others than you care about yourself. This is love. This is Jesus' kind of love. And this, Jesus says, is, is what's going to prove to the world that we belong to Him. When we start loving like Jesus loved, then they'll understand, first off, who we are and who Jesus is and what love is. That's what the world's waiting for from us. All the things that we think are supposed to make us different, but I've yet to see us really drill down into trying to be the, the kind of people who love like Jesus loves. But, but that's what proves. That's the sign. That's the one sign, Jesus says, that will prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you belong to Jesus, you love like Jesus. Statistics, though, it, when they poll the world, people in the United States, and, and ask them what the church is known for. I'm not making this up. Google it, y'all. I mean, look, look it up. If you ask the population, non-believers, the world, what they associate with the church, what do you think the first thing is? First thing. I'm telling you, it's not love. The first thing they associate with us these days, today, is they believe and they, and they know that the church is anti-homosexual. Like that's the first thing that pops into their minds. The church people don't like gay people. That's what we're known for, you all. Now, I'm not at this moment talking about whether or not you should, you, you, I'm not even talking about gay people at this point, I'm talking about you people. If, if that's what we're known for, there's something profoundly wrong with the way we're doing this. If the first thing that we're known for is not love, then they're never going to know that we belong to Jesus. Did you understand? We're sent into this world with a mission and a message, and, and that's what comes first. Love is mission critical. If you're not loving, you're doing it wrong. And if Jesus is not the first point of your message, then you got the wrong message. I'm telling you, when you meet people in the world, your first question must not be, are they gay or straight? Because that's not the first concern. That's not your number one priority. That's not what matters. What matters is, are, are they lost or saved? Do they know Jesus? This is what matters. This is our mission, to lead people to Jesus. So it's not, are you gay or straight? It's, it's do you know Jesus? And if they know Jesus, then Jesus will take care of cleaning up their lives. We don't have to do that. We just don't. Now, understand what I'm saying. We have to love like Jesus loves. And love is our primary way of being in the world. It's what the world is waiting to see from us. It's love. It's love. It's always love. Our witness is harmed whenever we say we belong to Jesus while acting as if we belong to the world. Now, again, we don't think we act like the world. I mean, we, we sort of associate a lot of things with being church people. And we don't really think that we act like the world at all. But I'm telling you, love is the difference. Love is the big difference. You don't find that kind of love in the world. And, and that's hard for us because there are clubs in the world and there are communities in the world where people seem to care an awful lot for one another. But it is the church of Jesus Christ that has the source and the expression of true love. We should be doing this. We should be showing the world love like they can find nowhere else. It's love. It's love. Jesus said, love will show the world that you belong to me. It's love. We harm our witness whenever we belong to Jesus, but we go out there acting like we belong to the world. The world is judgmental. 
We're not supposed to judge. It says it over and over and over, judge not. So, well, Pastor Tim, does that mean we can't talk about sin? We've got to talk about sin. We have to talk about sin. Of course we talk about sin. We do well as long as we're confessing our sins and walking in forgiveness, period. Man, this is the Christian way of being in the world. We confess our sins. Earlier I was seeing that Christians don't walk or talk or think or act like the world, but but I'm still a lot like the world. I don't want to be. I'm just so selfish. I can't stop thinking about myself and how things will affect me and how it looks on me and how people will think about me. I mean, my life's about me, and that's sinful. I have this tendency to be a really good person on the outside, but my thought life is wicked. It's in here. I manage to keep all of my, all of my thoughts to myself, but I'm telling you, my, my thoughts are sinful. I don't always have the mind of Christ. I struggle. And so my life is a life confessing my sins. I'm in the world, but I don't belong to the world. There's this tension, though, because I continue to be drawn back to the things of the world. I need Jesus every day. I need to confess my sins and walk in forgiveness and remember where I was when he found me. Because when I remember where I was when he found me, I'm going to think very differently about the people who are now where I was when he found me. I find I can love people when I remember who I was, who I am. As long as we're confessing our sins, walking in forgiveness, I think we're going to do well. But it's when we stumble trying to confess the sins of others, walking in judgment. Man, I'm afraid that as Christians, we've really gotten this habit of just confessing the sins of others. People say, Pastor Tim, I I wish you preached more sermons on gay marriage. I know you wish I would because you're not gay (laughs) and you're not trying to get married. I understand it's something delicious when you're talking about sins that you're not guilty of. Nobody's ever walked up the door and said, Pastor Tim, preach a big one on gossip one day. It never happens. Nobody's ever said, you know, preach a really, really good sermon on being greedy. Crazy. Man, we... We beat up on divorce people for years and years and years, you know, as if divorce was somehow worse than greed or gossip. Sin is sin. And we're all sinners. We like to confess the sins of others, walk in judgment. It makes us feel righteous. It makes us feel better about ourselves. This is not our mission. And this is not our message. Of course we're going to talk about sin. Of course we talk about sin. Of course we stand against sin. But the first place to stand is against the sin in your own life. Do you understand? It comes as no surprise that there's so much sin in the world. It's the world. Jesus understood the world. He said, this world's going to hate you. He understands the world. It is no surprise that there is so much sin in the world. The world is wicked. I mean, it's wicked. It's, uh, this whole world is so very sexually messed up, so greedy, so selfish, so judgmental. I mean, the world is a wicked, sinful, awful place. There's no surprise in that. Stop being surprised. It's the world. They're not Christians. They're not going to act like Christians. They're not going to understand Jesus. They're not going to understand love. They don't know Jesus. 
They walk in darkness because they don't have the light. So understand, there's no surprise there. What is shocking, though, is that there is so much sin in us. It's a sin in the church. That's the contradiction. That's what doesn't belong. I've been doing weddings for 22 years. I am not surprised when a couple comes to me, a couple from outside the church comes to me, says, Pastor Tim, will you do our wedding? And they're living together. In the world, they live together. They don't understand. I mean, I understand now that couples like that, nobody's ever told them it's wrong. So they just live together. And that's, that's the world. And I'm not surprised by that. And I'll do their wedding. It gives me an opportunity to share the gospel and become their pastor. I mean, you know, I, I want to be involved. I'm not surprised when the world acts like the world. What's surprising is when the church couples come in and they're living together. You understand? That's the part that's surprising. That's the part that doesn't belong. Stop being shocked at the sin out there. That, that, that they're sinners. They don't know Jesus. But in here, we belong to Jesus. We're not of the world. And this is where sin is such a horrible contradiction. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't belong to the world. We don't think like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't act like the world. Except when we do. You ever seen a boat floating in the water like, like a giant ship? Like one of those big cruise ships, you know, bigger than a shopping mall? Drop it in the water and it floats. I don't understand that. If you, I mean, the ship's made out of steel, you know? If I had a, a, a block of steel and pitched it in the water, what happens? Bloop. Sinks. So how is it you can make an entire ship out of steel, set it in the water, and it floats? The boat can be in the water. That's not the problem. You understand that? A boat can be in the water. But the boat will sink when? When the water gets in the boat. You see, the boat in the water is never the problem. It's when the water gets in the boat. You and I are kind of like boats in the water. You understand? We are in this world, but we don't belong to this world. But when the world gets in you, Man, your faith is sunk. Your, your, your mission, your witness is sunk. You can't possibly make a difference in the world when you're not different. It's, it's, it's the water in the boat that sinks it. And for you, it's the way the world has a way of getting back in you. It squeezes you back into its mold. Jesus had this basic assumption about his people, about the church. He, he said, God help them. Because they're going to be in this world, but they don't belong to this world, and the world is going to hate them. In the world, but not of the world. Do you understand? That's your way of life. In the world, but not of the world. This you must remember. Pray with me.